Well, good morning, Luminous Church. So good to see you this morning. We're so glad you're here to worship with us. As Brandy said, my name is William Galloway, and I'm one of I'm one of our ENC campus missionaries. And my family, my wife, Aisha, and, and our children, John Mark and AJ, are so glad not only to call San Antonio, Texas home again, but Luminous Church home and you family for the past year. Y'all have been a blessing to us, and our hope is that we will be a blessing to you as well, and I'm honored that to start our new summer, uh, sermon series, The Armor of God. And throughout the next six weeks, we'll be going through several pieces of the whole armor of, of God in Ephesians chapter six, and we want to show you the armory that God, that the Lord has provided for those enlisted in his service so that we can stand firm. This morning we'll be in Ephesians chapter six, verses 10 through 14, and spending our time on the belt of truth and answering four questions regarding the belt of truth. Number one, why do we need it? Two, what is it? Three, where do we put it on? And four, how to put it on? Again, why do we need the belt of truth? What is the belt of truth? Where do we put on the belt of truth? And how to put on the belt of truth? So if you have your Bible, we will be in Ephesians chapter six, verses 10 through 14. If not, it'll be on the screen. And it reads like this. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you that you have provided an armory and, and spiritual weaponry uh, to us as we are enlisted in your service here in San Antonio. Lord, would you, by your Holy Spirit, minister to us through your word, in Jesus' name, amen. The title of this message is, Where is Your Belt? Where is your belt? And growing up, when I would get dressed and I was about to leave the house, my mom would always say, boy, where's your belt? And she said, boy, William Hunter, I know you're not going anywhere without a belt on. Go, put on a belt. And she wanted me to understand that what I put on mattered as it would affect how I stand and walk. And the Apostle Paul in the book of Ephesians wants us to understand this truth as he's in prison, writing to the church in Ephesus to Jewish and non-Jewish Christians to teach them how the gospel calls us into a multi-ethnic family of God and how they are to love one another as a new humanity in a culture where it was so hard to do so, so much so that he wrote two letters to his spiritual son, Timothy, only to encourage and strengthen him as he passed to the church in Ephesus. Ephesus was a place where Paul said that he fought with wild beasts. We don't know what they are, but he, that's what he said. And he said a wide door for effective ministry was open to him, but there are many adversaries. How many of you know that just because the Lord called you and he opened a door doesn't mean that it won't be hard? It's a place where riots and disturbances occurred because the gospel challenged idol worship in the culture. It says some become stubborn and continued in unbelief and spoke evil of Christianity. It's a place where people would only listen to preachers and teachers who preached what they wanted to hear, not what they needed to hear. 
And Paul understood that if the Christians in Ephesus were going to stand strong, then what they put on mattered. And they needed to put on the whole armor of God, starting with the belt of truth. And what the Holy Spirit is saying to us through Paul, through the text, is, Christian, where is your belt? I know you're not going anywhere without a belt. So let's look at the scripture, starting at verse 10. It says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Paul starts with a finally as he's making his concluding statements after laying a foundation of chapters 1 through 3 of the gospel, who God is and what he's done. Chapters 4 through 6 are about how God calls us to build on the foundation of the good news with good works because of who we now are in Christ. And he finishes how he starts in chapter 1 and 2 saying, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Listen, Paul's not giving them a TED talk about how they should be strong in the strength of your own might or their own might because he knows we're just not strong enough. He's reminding them of what he's already said because he knows sinful humanity's bent is toward a self-reliant and a self-standing Christianity, especially in our American culture. We love this theory of grit. In 2013, Angela Duckworth gave a TED talk on grit, a former educator, and she concluded that her students, uh, if they worked hard and long enough, they would succeed. So, and I quote, she started studying, study, studying kids and adults in all kinds of super challenging settings. And in every study, her question was, who is successful and why? So she went to West Point Military Academy. She went to the National Spelling Bee. She went to public schools in bad neighborhoods to research who would stand strong. And she found that the characteristic that was the best predictor of success was grit. And she defines it as a passion and perseverance for long-term goals. She said it's having stamina. It's sticking with your future day in and day out, not just for the day, not just for the week, not just for the month, but for years, and working really hard to make that future a reality. Duckworth states that what we need in education is a much better understanding of students from a, and, and learning from a motivational and psychological perspective. As people would ask her, how do I build grit in kids? How do I teach them a solid work ethic? How do I keep them motivated for the long run? And her reply is, the honest answer is, I do not no. But how many of you are thankful that the scripture have the answer? I know I am. And when Paul, when he's looking at his spiritual children in Ephesus, he's not wondering, how do I build grit into these Christians? How do I keep them motivated for the long run? How do I teach them a solid work ethic? Paul's like, no, I gave you the answer in Ephesians chapter 1 and 2 already. And that what Christians in challenging contexts need is not a motivational or psychological perspective but a Christological perspective. He's saying we need to see Jesus clearly. And so let's look at what he says. He says, and remember in chapters 1, verse 19 through 20, how I prayed to the Father to give you the immeasurable, to give you the knowledge of the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places so that you might be in and with him. Theologian Stephen Lawson tells us what it means to be in Christ. It's to be in a saving relationship with Christ and to be brought into union and communion with him in such a way that as we are in Christ, that what is true of Christ becomes true of us. 
And this is where our understanding of who Jesus is and what he's done becomes not just propositional, but experiential. Our Christianity moves from the head to the heart. It moves from our mind to the spirit. And Paul masterfully continues in chapter 2, saying, remember that immeasurable power that I prayed you'd have knowledge of? How when you were dead in trespasses and sins, following the ways of this world, following the devil, following the flesh, when you were by nature children of wrath, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, made us alive together with Christ. By grace we have been saved and catch this and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Remember that power of God when Christ raised Jesus up from the dead that we sing about, seated him in the heavenly places. And it's that same power that raises us, that raised Jesus up from the dead, that now lives inside of us, and that's what we're called to be strong in. It was not our own doing. It was a gift of God. And God gives us armor not only to seat us in heaven, but to stand on earth. God gifts us armor not only to seat us in heaven, but to stand on earth. Now, finally, say finally with me. We get to our first point. So question one, why do we need the belt of truth? Verse 11 through 13, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic power over, powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, for this reason, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and haven't done all to stand firm. You see, now that you're not a part of Satan's kingdom and under his own banner, you're, you are now his enemy. And he doesn't attack those under his own banner because we know that Jesus tells us a kingdom divided itself against itself can't stand. And so this answers the question as to why we need the battle of truth. It's because we're in a spiritual war. That although we are seated with Christ in the heavenly places, we are here in San Antonio where there are many adversaries. We're in a spiritual world with many fronts, from the cultural, political, from the ideological, from theological and educational, and specifically what we're talking about today, we're in a world for truth. And the deceitful schemes of the devil are against the following truths. The truth that your identity is in Christ and you are to conform to his image but the enemy wants you to believe that your identity is in the culture, in the community that you want to be a part of, so that you have to conform to their image instead. It's against the truth that God's salvation is through the love and grace and mercy and faith in Christ. But, and the enemy wants you to believe that salvation is earned and through your own good deeds where you have to earn God's love, his grace, and his mercy instead. It's against the truth of the reconciliation and the peace that God wants to establish between multi-ethnic and multi-generational uh, relationships that Christ already established by breaking down the dividing wall of hostility. And the enemy wants you to believe that you can't trust one who thinks differently than you, looks differently than you, who is a different ethnicity or generation or even build with them. And he wants to keep us separated from God and one another. So you build walls instead. I could go on, but this is why we need the battle of truth. And here's what I don't want to happen to you. If you remember, but I remember vividly in middle school and high school when I would watch street fights. 
And one of the most common things during a fight is what? Can somebody throw out a guess? Okay. One of the most common things I always saw is that they would always pull up their pants and get into a, a fighting position. And as they're moving throughout the fight, they have to continue to pull up their pants. And when they do that, they drop their guard, and they're neither in an offensive or defensive position. Amen. And all of a sudden, they get hit with a two-piece and a biscuit, and they're on the floor, and the fight is over. That's what I don't want to happen to you. And oftentimes, when we as Christians get into spiritual warfare and get into these boxing and wrestling matches with the enemy, we're always caught trying to pull up our pants because we don't have on the battle too. And by that time, we've been taken down, mauled by the world culture and the flurries of punches that come with it. Where is your belt? Is it still at the house? Have you left without your belt this morning? Number two, what is the battle of truth? Verse 14, stand therefore, having fastened on the battle of truth. The word truth here is the Greek word aletheia that refers objectively to the religious truth of Christianity and subjectively to the truthfulness, sincerity, or integrity of character. I'll say that again. The word truth refers objectively to the religious truth of Christianity and subjectively to the truthfulness, sincerity, or integrity of character. William Gurnall and the Christian in Complete Armor provide some helpful interpretations for us uh, regarding the Christian spiritual girdle or belt of truth. He says this, what is truth here? Some say it is Christ himself who is called the truth in, God, in John's gospel. But in this passage, the apostle assigns distinct meanings to several pieces of armor, and Christ can't be defined to any of them. Instead, he's the whole in whom we are complete compared to the entire suit of armor. Others think, which is the more biblical interpretation, that the apostle is applying truth of doctrine, which is the religious truth of Christianity, or sincerity, the truthfulness, sincerity, or integrity of character. And he says this about it, and indeed, both are necessary to make the girdle complete. Neither one will work without the other. Both then are vitally essential, sincerity to set forth the right purpose, and knowledge of the word of truth to direct us toward that end. Again, Paul helps us in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13. And he says this, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, and believed the, gospel, the, the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him. And so this belt of truth has two ends that are supposed to come together. Number one is the gospel of our salvation in Christ. With only truth of doctrine of who Christ is, then as James says, we are still devils. He says, you believe that God is one. You believe that Jesus is both Lord and Christ. This is true, and the demons believe this as well, and they shudder. However, there's a, there's a problem, is that when Jesus went into his ministry in Mark chapter 1, it says after he was tempted by the devil in the wilderness, he went into the, to Capernaum to the Jewish synagogue, and there was a man there with an unclean spirit or a demon and he starts talking to him. He says, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? And he says, I know who you are. 
You're the Holy One of God. You're the one by which everything was made, and without you was not anything made that was made. You are the Lord. I remember that you made me and how we we're supposed to worship you, but there's an issue, is that there's no faith, and there's no works that backs up their knowledge. They're still in rebellion. And this gives us the understanding that why there can be so many Christians who can quote scripture, who can quote the Apostles' Creed, who, can, who know the gospel, but they still live devilish lives. And if that's the case, if there's no faith, if there's no works to back up our knowledge, then that's called hypocrisy. And the end of this hypocrisy is rebellion. Number two, the truthfulness or sincerity of our character, if with only sincerity but no truth of the gospel, then all we are are religious. Religious Christians who believe that we're doing the right thing and going in the right direction. And I meet many students who grow up in a church believing that if they are just a good person, if they go to church, if they read the Bible more, if they pray more, if they give to the poor, if they are philanthropic and they do all of these good deeds to offset their bad deeds, then perhaps they're going to make it into heaven. Or I meet other students who believe that there's multiple ways to get to God as long as you're a good person. So they're well-meaning. They mean well. But sincerity doesn't necessarily mean that you're right. And so the end of this, with only sincerity, is ignorance. And we miss Jesus. You know, it's like this. I can, I'm, I'm hard of hearing. And, you know, without the truth of the gospel, there's no true living. And you have misgui misguided leaving. The blind leading the blind. I'll pick, I won't pick on the blind. I'll pick on the deaf here. I'm hard of hearing. And I can sincerely believe I hear sound, and I believe that it's coming from upstairs. And so sincerely, my wife will call me, and she'll yell my name, Will, Will, I need you. And so I'll, I'll start going towards upstairs, and all of a sudden, I find nothing there. And it turns out, she come, I turned back around, and she was in the pantry the whole time. But I sincerely thought that she was upstairs, and that's where I was supposed to be. But the truth was that she was in the pantry calling me, and she needed me to fold the laundry. Not that I fold laundry, anyway. <laughs> and so here's the definition of the belt of truth. The belt of truth is the gospel of our salvation in Christ and the truthfulness of our character that puts off falsehood in Christian living. Number three, where do we put on the belt of truth? Going to answer this question, what is meant by truth? Uh, what, what is meant by loins? It says that Peter interprets Paul, gird up the loins of your mind. The scripture says in the NAS, NASB, stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth. In the loins, he says, we are to put on the belt of truth on our spirit and our minds. As the loins are the strength, the core, are the strength for the physical body, I had back surgery in December, and I didn't realize how much I needed my core just to do basic thing, uh, things, like pick up a kid or, or bend, twist, and lift. And so the loins, this core, is the source of your physical strength. This, and here's the parallel. The spirit and the mind are the source of strength for the Christian depending upon what they put their faith in. And just as a Roman soldier would prepare himself to fight in battle by tucking in the loose fabric of his tunic, 
that would hinder his ability and mobility to fight in hand-to-hand combat, the Christian is to prepare himself for battle by gathering the excess loose fabric called lies that hinder us from standing strong in spiritual warfare by fastening on the belt of truth, the gospel of our salvation in Christ, and the fruitfulness of our character that puts away falsehood in Christian living. So we answered why we need about why we need the belt of truth. What is the belt of truth? Where do we put it on? And now we'll conclude with how to put it on. How to put on the belt of truth. Are there belt loops? Are there belt buckles? You see, the belt of truth has two ends that are to come together, buckled or fastened together. And understand this, the gospel is the buckle and prong that secures you your righteousness, your truthfulness, your sincerity is not. The gospel is what secures you. Your truthfulness is not. And so how do we put it on? Number one, we got to p- pick up the belt. we got to pick up the objective truth of the gospel in this word for where we get to know about Christ and his character and where we see the truth about him and what he's done for us and how he's called us to be true to him in every part of our life. This is called lordship. And in so doing, it shows us a subjective truth about us and our character and how we don't live, how he calls us to live. And we see where the ends don't meet and so it can't be fastened. Gono says the principles we have in our understanding, all the ground our behavior moves upon, if they shift, our actions will stagger too. What he's saying is that orthodoxy or right belief should lead to orthopraxy, right action, which should lead to orthopathy, right emotion. And if one of these three is wrong, then it affects the others. And, but, and if we say we have the right belief and right action and, and right emotion, but they don't line up with how scripture calls us to think, live, and feel, then it means that we have either the wrong belt or we just misapplied it. We missed a couple belt loops. Here's how you know. If the gospel, if the belt that you put on doesn't empower you to live out what the schemes of the enemy are against, then it's the wrong belt. If your identity is in culture and you conform to cultural images rather than Christ and his image, then it's the wrong belt. I was with someone who said this, that my identity is more so in the community that I'm a part of, the culture that I'm around the most. And though I believe that I'm a child of God, I feel like I'm a child of many. And he asked this question, how do I get this malleable identity to be formed into Christ? How do I change this? Because it's not lining up with what scripture says. If you perform good works to try and earn God's love and acceptance and affirmation and approval and his mercy, then it's the wrong belt. And I'm familiar with this. I share my own story with the first two. One, growing up, hard of hearing, always being an insider outsider to the hearing community, growing up in North San Antonio in a school that was 90% white. Found out at both times I was hearing, hard of hearing, and I was at the same time removed from my demographic where a lot of people looked like me. And I always did and conform to cultural images to be a part, to fit in. And the way that I did that was through performance and acceptance. If I did well, then I could earn the love and acceptance of the people that I want to please. 
and how does this apply to my Christianity? Well, I could believe that if I do well enough preaching, teaching, leading discipleship meetings, then perhaps I could get a little more favor with God. That's the temptation. That's the lie that I have to fight against. Or I have to, everywhere I go, I have to continue to, to conform and compromise my identity, who God called me to be, rather than be all things to all men and build common ground to build a relationship with them. Here's how you know you have the wrong belt. If you don't trust others of different ethnicities and generations or who have different political, ideo ideological, cultural viewpoints than you, so you don't build relationships with them. So you build, rather than building walls, you either build bunkers. To where you want to keep them at bay, and in this bunker, you shoot them down with your words to defend your position on Facebook, on social media. Whether it's you believe in vaccines, whether you don't believe in va vaccines, you shoot them down and you see them as your enemies to keep, to separate them from you. A more subtle way is to say, you know what? I'm not going to go to that life group today because I know that they have a way of asking me questions about my soul. And they're going to ask me, how am I doing? And I know that I sinned yesterday. I know that I'm having a really hard time and I'm ashamed and I don't want to step into that. I don't want them to really know how I'm doing because then I'll just feel needy. And so you just don't go. I've done this before. When I first became a Christian at University of North Texas, I'm still figuring out this performance deal. And I knew, as I'm the president of the ministry, if I sinned or if I fell short in some way, what I would do, I would remove myself from the group me, and I would turn off my phone because I knew my pastor was going to call, my campus minister was going to call and ask me how I'm doing. I was too ashamed to tell him that the leader of the ministry had fallen. So I built walls until Christ would come, until I find out the truth that Christ wants to continue to break down those walls. See, the more time you spend in the truth of the gospel and in the truthfulness of your character, you really know who you are. The more you know the lies that you have to put away, so spend time reading Ephesians the next six weeks. Number two, we've got to put it on. Apply unto your spirit and your mind through repentance and faith. That Christ is able to make the ends meet. The application is where the gospel of our salvation in Christ and the truthfulness of our character that puts away falsehood and Christian living meet, where we're becoming more like Christ in his image. So we don't just read it just for knowledge's sake, but we, we know that spiritual maturity is not how much we know, but how much we obey. So if we're going to pick up the better truth, we've got to put it on. We've got to apply it to our lives. Number three, put off through prayer and praise. The lies put off the lies and deceptions as the Holy Spirit continues to lead you as you read this word, as he convicts you concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment, as you're going throughout the day outside of your devotional time, if you feel something or if you sin, if you fall short, you, have, you, you go back and you continue to pray until your mind agrees with the scripture and the truth and your spirit obeys that truth. That's why we sing these songs. We pray so our mind agrees and our spirit obeys and we continue to offer up our thanksgiving to God. You see, one of the most terrifying things to hear as a child was when your mom and dad would say, where's my belt? When you did something you weren't supposed to. Y'all remember that feeling? I'm going to get my belt. Stay here. 
And Aaron, you can come up now. And don't laugh at me, but, but my first thought was to run and hide. And my mom was on, she was on disability. I was wrong for this. Don't laugh at me. When I was in high school, she was on disability. Had, from the time I was in seventh grade, she had ACL surgery, MCL, LCL, PCL, tore all the ligaments in her knee, tore both of her Achilles. She had rheumatoid arthritis and fibromyalgia. And so when I did something I wasn't supposed to, and she, she stayed ready. She didn't just have a belt. Her belt was with her purse strap. And so she was always ready. She was always ready. And when I came home, and she, I saw her getting out that purse strap. I knew she couldn't catch me if I ran. If I ran. So I ran out the door, and I didn't come back till hours later. <laughs> and hours later, I want you to hear this. I came back at an opportune time when I thought she would be asleep. So I opened the front door, and I'm peeking through the corners, making sure she's not there. And I walk down the hallway, and there's an intersection, and I see the kitchen light is on, so I'm like, she might be in the kitchen, so I, I'm gonna check here first. And, and that's where the, where the master bedroom was. So I walk, and I check here, I look, and I, as soon as I look, the strap hit me in the chest so hard, I, I, I couldn't help but laugh. But she was prepared. She had on the belt of truth. And this is the spiritual parallel for the Christian is that one of the most terrifying things for the kingdom of darkness to Satan, the father of lies who's been lying from the beginning, is a Christian that says, you know what? Where's my belt? Where's my belt of truth? And when we fast, fasten on the belt of truth, we resist the lies of the enemy against the rules, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness against the spiritual forces in the heavenly places, their first thought is to run and hide. Isn't that what the scripture says? Submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee. Remember Jesus in the wilderness being tempted by Satan. And it said after Jesus defeated him with the truth, that he would return at an opportune time. And when he does, when he's peeking through the doors and the hallways, are you going to be ready? Alistair Begg says this. It is only the truth of the gospel that can dispel the lies of the evil one and set us free. Here's that truth. Paul was not just remembering a Roman soldier, armor, as it was common for him to come across, as many think. That could be. But Paul being the Pharisee of Pharisees that he was and having such knowledge of the Old Testament, it's more likely that he was remembering Christ, the, the, the Lord's warrior, mighty warrior from the Old Testament of Isaiah that says this. Righteousness, Isaiah 11 verse 5, righteousness shall be the truth, shall be the battle of his waist, and faithfulness the battle of his loins. And the gospel is this. It's the good news. That when God became a man in Jesus Christ, that he lived a life of righteousness and faithfulness as he stood strong against the devil's schemes in the wilderness. He understood the truth of who he is and how God the Father called him to live truthfully to him. Jesus stood firm on the cross as the nails firmly fixed his hands and feet to it. Stripped of his garments for the punishment of our sins. 
through his death on the cross. He defeated sin, death, and Satan once and for all. And it says he disarmed the rulers and authorities and the cosmic powers of this present darkness. He disarmed the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And he put them to open shame by triumphing over them as he rose from the dead three days later. And as we repent and believe in him, we the unrighteous can put on his belt of righteousness. We the unfaithful can put on his belt of faithfulness that he gives us and we give him our belt of unrighteousness and unfaithfulness so that we can be brought into a relationship with God. The gospel is this, is that Jesus put off his garment so we can put on his armor. Let's pray. There's two groups I want to pray for. The first one is if you have never put on the belt of truth, Maybe you're on the ignorance end with sincerity. You believe that you were doing the right thing, but you're heading in the wrong direction. Or maybe you're on the rebellion where you know the right thing to do. But everything in you just resists the truth, and you've been living a life of hypocrisy and falsehood. And if that's you, every eye closed, every head bowed, and I want to pray for you. If that's you, I want, to, I want you to lift your head. If you want to put on the belt of truth, if you want to put on Christ and receive Jesus as Lord and Savior. Father, I thank you for the men and women in this place. Lord, we thank you for the good news that righteousness was the belt of your waist and faithfulness the belt of your loins. Lord, that you put off your garment so we can put on your armor and that you have called us to be in you and with you so that what is true of you may become true of us. And Lord, I pray that these men and women would confess you as Lord in Christ and that they would live lives that are true to you and therefore live a life of truthfulness, a life of guidance, a life of wisdom. In Jesus' name. The second group I want to pray for is those that are tempted to forget. John Bunyan says this, and it's important to know this. He wrote The Pilgrim's Progress, which is the second most reading book, most, second most read book behind the Bible, and Charles Spurgeon said this about him, that if you were to prick him with a needle, he would bleed, he would bleed the Bible. But yet he says this, and I feel like this is a lot of us in our struggle. He says, of all the temptations that I've ever felt, that I've ever met with in my life, to question the being of God and the truth of his gospel is the worst. And the worst to be born. When this temptation comes, it takes away my girdle from me, my belt from me, and removes the foundations from me. Oh, how I have often thought of that word, have your thorns girt about with truth. And if that's you, I want to pray for you. That if you're tempted to forget the truth of who Jesus is and what he's done for you, tempted to live any other way that's not truthful to him, you just need to remember. That's all Paul's saying. It's not striving. It's remembrance. So, Father, I thank you for us. Lord, that are tempted to forget the truth of your gospel, that are tempted to question your character, your goodness, your mercy. 
that you have for us through faith in Christ Jesus. And Lord, I pray that right now that we will put on the belt of truth, fasten it to our spirit and our minds. Lord, that we would continue to pray and get prayer as we put off the lies and the deception so that we can be truthful in our Christian living. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.